Welcome to another episode of Chai Time with Jags. Today I have got two special guests. One is Dr. Ashish Ansel, all the way from Chicago, and I have also got Dr. Kieran Gill, all the way from Florida. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for coming on to this episode. Um, Ashish, please tell our listeners what it is that you do and also yourself, Kieran. Sure. Yeah, thank you for having us on, Jack, and for, you know, such an important topic. I think, you know, this this topic is, uh, um, it's vast and it's very, you know, it's, there's so much to cover. And, um, you know, I'm so glad that you're addressing it. And, you know, I'm happy to be on here to talk about it. Um, so I'm a family medicine physician uh, at, in Chicago, um, Illinois, uh, the U.S., for uh, those who don't know. But um, so I work in, you know, like the underserved communities. So I work in, uh, in an area called Englewood, uh, which is on the south side of Chicago, uh, one of the most like impoverished um, neighborhoods in, you know, America, really. And um, they, you know, w- w- there's socio- socioeconomic issues here um there's a lot of violence here and there's a lot of trauma here and um so you know we help patients uh you know deal with all of that and then also while trying to provide you know primary care and uh, mental health care uh in these neighborhoods so um uh you know as an aside you know i i've done a lot of work with within the south asian community as well and um being a you know an indian doctor you know, there's uh everybody kind of comes to you you know within the community right you know to ask for help and um so i have a uh you know really good experience uh with you know working with mental health with uh you know the south asian community so again happy to be here thank you for you know having us thank you yes thank you once again along the lines of uh what she said but um, I'm Dr. Karen Gill. I'm actually a board certified um, adult psychiatrist, and I'm also a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, I've been practicing for about, I think, probably 10 or 11 years. Um, I work with adults, geriatrics. I also work in the correctional uh, facilities um, and children and adolescents, uh, ranging from inpatient to residential care as well. Um, I also agree with a lot of uh, what uh, Dr. Ansel is saying that, especially in the South Asian community, um, us both being Punjabi as well, knowing that, hey, there's no such thing as depression. You have a great life. You have good money. You have food on the table. What is there to be depressed about? I mean, if I could say how many times um, this has been said out of my own parents' mouth who have two children who are in psychiatry, um, I think you know, us being in psychiatry now, my parents, you know, which there's not many percentage are able to now understand what mental health is. But I think that that's only because me and my brother are both psychiatrists and they see it. Um, But I definitely think the stigma is there, Uh, especially I went to medical school in India. So I actually got to see how psychiatry was in India when we did our rotations versus how it is in America. And I can't even begin to describe a world of a difference, just the questions that are being asked as a psychiatrist in India, what's being prescribed. And a lot of the reasons, it's crazy that even the words that we use, such as depression or whatnot, it's categorized so differently in India. So this is an amazing topic and I'm so happy that hopefully we can spread spread awareness on it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, mental health as a whole has become a very big thing, especially in the last 10, 15 years. And especially with men's mental health, regardless of background, there are higher suicide rates within men in every background but today specifically we're going to be talking about men's mental health within the South Asian community because there's so much stigma attached to it Um, and within the South Asian community mental health is such a taboo subject I mean from your experiences 
as medical practitioners, why is there such a this whole stigma around mental health, you know, within our communities? Because obviously I'm Punjabi, as you said, you're Punjabi yourselves. There's always been, oh yeah, you just need to pray, everything will be fine. You know, it it's just part of life, whether it's but then there's so many different reasons why there has been such a rise in mental health issues within our community, whether it's um, grief, loss of a loved one, some form of trauma, divorce is a big one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you guys come across this on a day-to-day basis, how do you tackle that stigma when someone from the South Asian community comes to you to talk to you are they openly talking to you about their emotions or not because generally it's a case of where we've been taught to brush all our emotions underneath the carpet growing up yeah I think I mean to ask like where it's coming from I think I mean, and I don't know if Dr. Ansel will agree with this, but uh, honestly, it's very easily said. Our mental health literacy is low. That's why nobody understands. There's no education about it. If you go to a layman's person and you say, hey, um, what is depression to you, right? Nobody is going to be able to, or nobody other than probably in healthcare, or anybody who's interested, whether it's be psychologists or social workers, are able to underline and say where the chemical and biological basis of depression come from. In a society, the when I say literacy is low, everybody's going to say, oh, mental health just means I'm sad. I have a low mood. Yeah. No, there's way more to it to learn about serotonin, about the norepinephrine, about what plays a role in your chemical and biological ability to manage these type of things. It doesn't just come out of the blue. There's biological and chemical imbalances as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, along those lines, I think you're hundred percent right. You know, um, the literacy is low and along with that, if you just think about from a generational standpoint, right. Our parents are not equipped with tools, even as they raise us, right. As you know, as they raised us, there were, there's, all that information was not out there. So they, they didn't have all these tools to help us deal with our emotions, deal with, you know, being angry, being sad, being, you know, um, anxious, right? So everything was just, you know, put your head down and move through it, right? So it starts at a really, you know, at a really, you know, young age, and I'm seeing this with my kids, right? And so it starts at a really young age. And if you're, as a parent, if you don't have the tools, you're, you're going to fall back on something, right? And what do, what do people really fall back on? They essentially fall back on, you know, things that they were taught. And so they were taught, you know, that religion, you know, whatever religion solves all, you know. So um, I, think, I think that the tools and the literacy are definitely, you know, they've been they've been hindering us, you know, the lack thereof. And the other part of that, and I think, Jag, you, you had, we had talked about this a little bit, is, you know, just generational trauma, right? Um, and generational trauma um, over, you know, however many years living in that, in that region has led to a lot of fear, has a lot of, led to a lot of, um, you know, anxiety and depression. And again, we've always been kind of taught to, you know, as, as men, you know, just to be strong and not, you know, um, you know, face those things head on and not to face feelings head on. So um, I think that's been, you know, a, uh, that's just been building up over time. And uh, hopefully now, you know, we're starting to turn the corner with more information, but it's going to take time. So. Yeah. I mean, when you, obviously we have had communication prior to this about generational trauma but when you look at our elders like grandparents our parents and maybe before them for example why did they go for alcohol and then when they obviously a lot of people say alcoholism is a disease but what 
what are the triggers for somebody to reach to drink, for example, from that generation? But then those patterns are repeated further down the line where the alcoholism would then in turn make the men hit their wives, you know? So there's always been that cycle. But have you found that with any of your patients who've actually come in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, from, you know, um, this is kind of, a, you know, this is a big topic. You know, we had, I, I had talked about this, you know, in some of the spaces as well on Twitter. And um, and one of the, you know, the big things was alcoholism. You know, it came up. Why do, you know, a lot of times why do, um, you know, men drink like that? And I think the the one of the reasons is because it's, it's almost like self-medicating, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a general, there's a generalized anxiety. So all these thoughts, right. And there's all these emotions and how do you shut that down? Right. And the way to shut down because alcohol is, you know, mainly a depressant. So how do you shut that down? And so people turn to often turn to drinking, you know, alcohol and oftentimes excessively to deal with some of these emotions. Again, it comes back to the tools. They didn't have the tools to deal, you know, with them previously. So that's what they use to, you know, shut these, these feelings down. And there's a, there's a chemical aspect to it too, right? There's like a, you know, you know, like you said, serotonin, norepinephrine, epinephrine, Mm -hmm. right? There's a chemical aspect to it. And if you can find a way to, if people find a way to quickly shut that down without having other tools or, you know, without trying other medications, they're really just self-medicating. And so, yeah. And so I think that's what leads to that because, um, you know, oftentimes that's what it leads to it. And then, you know, it just Mm -hmm. kind of spirals out of control and, and, uh, and I think also it's like a mask, like it's, especially for men, particularly it's a mask to, and when you're, uh, saying about how it cycles into abuse, right. Why it's the typical, and I'm not, and, and this is for all different, you know, nationalities and cultural backgrounds, but like, when a man drinks, he's masking his feelings to still feel like he's a strong uh, man who's, uh, you know, the head of the household or whatnot. Uh, what does that lead to when you're masking all your feelings and emotions and depressions? One of the uh, symptoms is irritability, it's anger, it's outbursts, it's impulsivity, right? So not being able to think before you act because that dysregulation is going to be there. So I feel like, and also a lot of my patients, when they come to me and I ask, you know, a lot of also the reasons where people reach for the alcohol also is because when you're depressed, you're not sleeping well, because you're having racing thoughts, you're thinking about all the negative, you're figuring out how the next day is going to pan out. How are you going to do this or that? How are you going to continue this mass so nobody else sees what you're feeling or doing? And what happens? You're going to drink so you can sleep so you can forget about it, right? So a lot of, I know a, a good population of my patients is oh, I just have this just to help, uh, just to help with uh, sleep as well. And I feel like the same way, it just cycles into a pattern. Yeah, and if you think about it, Sorry, if you think about it from like a cultural standpoint too, right? Like if how, you know, Karen was talking about the inhibitions are gone, right? And you're, you're, you're acting before thinking. Mm-hmm. A lot of those actions after they're done and when you're, you know, when people are out with their friends and they do those actions, let's say like men cry, right? And they, you know, they're sobbing. That's accepted, right? That, oh, he was drunk. He, you know, like he, you know, in Punjabi, you know, they're like, you know, uh, right? Like he, like he said, he, he told the truth and because he was drunk, he told the truth. And so it's like, it's, it's almost accepted that that's at that period in time when the, when you're drunk, it's okay to do that. Right. Other times, you know, it's not, it's really, you know, it's, it's really odd. Like, you know, it's, if a man cries, just in front of his friends at other times it's it's you know it's like oh whoa it's kind of weird but when you're when somebody's drunk and they do it you know they'll talk it's they get a pass you know so it's almost it's this it's this feedback loop that it's encouraged actually you know and even without being you know explicitly you know encouraged and accepted it is because you're yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting like you have to and, really go into the yeah. you know the nitty gritty of it to, yeah, to, I think to figure that out 
it's important for the population to know, especially the South Asian community as well. When a man, like, you know, it, it's not about the person always knowing when they're depressed. One of the things is that everybody I think should know is that when it comes to depression, actually other people are noticing first before that person's even able to express that their mental illness is actually mental health symptoms. So I tell this to my patients a lot, even when I start medication, right? I say, well, you're probably not going to feel any different, but other people are going to say, oh, you're laughing more, you're coming out of your room, or you're doing more things. And it's so funny, because I actually asked significant others, parents first, hey, did you notice any changes before I asked the patient themselves. So I feel like that's super important, even as the women in any like, you know, marriages, South Asian marriages, don't just expect your, your, you know, the man to be like, Oh, yeah, I'm depressed, rather, help initiate that process. Hey, I've noticed that you're a bit more irritable. I've noticed you've been kind of drinking a little bit more. What's been going on? How about we go get help together? I feel like those are a lot of the things that we just watch people kind of go in that cycle. And there's something that still can be done, even if that person's in denial as a man. Yeah, most definitely. Because I have seen people who've gone from alcohol to literally drugs so it's another form of numbing themselves not necessarily medicated drugs but we're talking you know substance abuse but it's like what would make them go from alcohol to substance abuse is it again to numb their emotions or is it for that temporary high because some people would actually take that stuff on a regular basis just to make themselves feel good. And it's almost like they're going down this constant black hole. You know, I have seen friends who've gone down that black hole and it's not been a good ending, you know, where they've literally crashed and burned. But before someone even goes there, what would be the symptoms for them to recognize that they're going down that kind of black hole? I think generally speaking, the symptoms that you're going to be looking for is when you're having more bad days than good days out of a week. Okay. That's a huge thing that I tell my patients, because first of all, no days are going to be perfect. No weeks are going to be perfect. You're still going to have bad days. So, cause sometimes when I ask people, I'm like, Oh, like, how are you feeling? Do you feel any different? Do you feel happier? And they're like, well, and I say, okay, I'm going to rephrase that. Are you having more good days or bad days? I feel like when it becomes like a pattern where there is going to be more bad days, that's when you know something's going on. When you know it's really bad is when you aren't able to function in daily life. So that is the criteria for mental illness in our DSM-5 that we use for psychiatry. Right. So uh, basically in DSM-5, all of the disorders will always say, are these symptoms causing dysfunction in daily living? So that's when it's a problem. That's when, but that, but honestly, stuff should have been done prior to that. That means like you're not able to even get up and go to work. You're not able to get your kids on the bus to go to school. You're not able to pay the bills. You're, so that means it's, and that's when help is needed or prior. Yeah, to that. and I yeah, and I think exactly, and I think prior to that, right? Like that's when you're, that's like, you know, that's that's a line that there's no, you know, no questions asked, got to get help right then and there. But there's a lot of signs prior to that, as you mentioned, right? You know, if, um, you know, like losing interest, right, you know, in your in your daily activities, um, you know, becoming angry, you know, for, you know, just easily triggered by things. Um, and, you know, Lots again, turning to concentration, all this exactly. like, you know, depression, there's the yeah the siggy caps right so there's going to be so yeah. many different ways that people can um definitely present in it and in any way it's not even about the nitty-gritty it's about seeing a change in a pattern of somebody who you know well as a friend as a partner right. as a child uh, you know as a daughter like knowing hey th this is off like this is not what this normal per they're usually like right mm -hmm. um, yeah and i think i sorry go ahead no, no, go on. No, I think, you know, I think this is great because I think it helps, you know, partner, the partner to understand or a friend or, you know, an acquaintance to, you know, look out for these symptoms, right? And let, um, 
you know, let the person themselves know that, you know, hey, this may be going on. But I'm hoping that from this episode, you know, people can like men themselves can, you know, find out that it's, you know, understand that it's okay themselves to start feeling, you know, if there is something off, right, to either if you want privately to get help or, you know, ask, reach out to somebody to get help, you know, if they feel like something is off, you know, that it, I think empowering them, we're, you know, we're a long way from there, but empowering, you know, men to, to do that and let them know that it's okay, I think is, is, is very important. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask this question, like, for example, I know someone like a friend of mine who has alcohol and substance abuse issues like whenever we have as friends try to approach this individual it's like no I'm absolutely fine another friend who had an issue years ago he hit rock bottom and he saw he went and sought problem he went and sought help for his problem sorry but when it comes to people who are being stubborn and they're like, I don't have an issue, how would you be able to help them? Because I've always been of the impression, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that we can't help someone who's not willing to help themselves. Or how could you persuade someone who's in denial that they have a problem, especially with alcohol and substance abuse or either? I mean, if they're not willing, like, I mean, if the first step is trying to see if they're willing to talk to someone, the first step is a therapist, um, having some of them just, and the way I kind of describe it is, look, you don't have to be on medicine. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go into a substance treatment program. Just talk to somebody, right? See where that goes. Once that person forms that therapeutic relationship with a therapist or whatever that might be, even visiting them once a week, then that third person who has no judgment and has nothing to hold against them or whatnot, a person is more likely to take into consideration what that person is saying versus it coming from family or friends. That's what I've noticed from what my patients will tell me when I ask them, well, what changed? What made you change, right? Um, a lot of like, especially in the, if you're, you know, South Asian community, whatnot, um, you know, they're very against medication. Oh, I don't need medicine to control my mind. Another thing is that's where the therapy plays a role in that. Um, for helping them kind of figure it out on their own versus everybody telling them, telling them, telling them, um, because what's the first step? The first step of everything is going to like when you're any family or friends are telling someone to get help, it's always denial. Right. And then after that, it's going to come into it. The more they, well, why would this therapist be telling me good or bad? They have nothing to do with me. Like, you know, hearing it from that third person. Yeah. The acceptance part is big. Right. Um, as you said, right, there's a there's denial and then, you know, hopefully there's some hopefully some self-awareness that can, you know, you can be reached. And I think, you know, like if you if I, I would I don't totally want to discount, you know, um, religion in general. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that that, you know, kind of does can help. Right. Especially with the self-awareness part. Um, you know, with you know, like Sikhi and, you know, mm -hmm. you, it can help. It can definitely help with. Um, you know, the self-awareness part. So hopefully, you know, perhaps that can be a bridge, right, to somebody who's not um, really, you know, accepting it or facing it head on. You know, maybe that can be a bridge to becoming a little bit more self-aware to get them to a place where they're, you know, willing to seek help, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't, I, I wouldn't, you know, totally, you know, cut that out, right, because it does have a place. Um, and, you know, hopefully I, that's how I would use it. I would use it as almost a bridge to become a little bit more self-aware. And then from that self-awareness, then you're at that next step. You know, once you accept it, then you're at that next step to, you know, for seeking help. And I think that the big thing is just dispelling the taboo of, you know, getting therapy. You know, that's really that that's what it is. It's it's such yeah. a and what you're kind of mentioning yourself, you know, it's along the same lines If people are able to look up when you believe in that higher power or that. But what is it? It's meditation. It's also a form of like DBT, like, you know, what we do, mindfulness. Yeah. What's DBT? Yeah. Mindfulness. It's a cultural what we do in our, you know, cultural, you know, background or whatnot. It's, it's funny how therapy is actually like equivalent to some stuff when you 
think about it whether it's meditation yeah in your- yeah but I think yeah, well- obviously obviously you guys are the medics but like I mentioned earlier like the generational trauma that has a big part to play in it as well but obviously for South Asians in the western world compared to the eastern world obviously growing up we've had to learn to balance the east and the west but then there's always been that conflict with both men and women the rules and everything but when you've had patients come to you or people who are struggling with balancing and really kind of finding who they are what kind of issues or main concerns do they come to you with when they're in that kind of in a battle so to speak and how is the best to manage it mine is where they're like we're at rock bottom um I mean I do a lot of inpatient so inpatient is gonna be real bad like where it's after a actual suicide attempt or it's um when people are really rock bottom and when I ask them like why now why are you coming to the hospital now why not two weeks ago why not a month ago and they'll say you know this time my wife my wife is serious like she's gonna leave me or uh my wife and kids left or I don't have a job I'm homeless now because of my how I've been trying to cope because a lot of people will cope with I mean you mentioned alcohol but there's also drugs right so they lose everything and that's when they usually come to me either suicide attempts or the loss of a family friends or loss of home Uh, that's like rock bottom though Uh, but on outpatient settings a lot of people will also come because they're like we're sick and tired of feeling like this we just want to be happy and we don't know what happy is anymore yeah yeah so we're i'm getting it from a different perspective i'm getting it from like a primary care perspective right where patients aren't necessarily coming to me for that right you're kind of teasing it out and you're you know you're either like you said you know how karen said you know you're picking it up on them right like you're either picking it up through like a screening tour or something like that um like a psq9 or whatever and then you're you're getting you're like hey hold on are you are you, are you doing okay? Like, you know, let's talk about it. And um, you know what? A lot of times people, they don't really understand that that's what's going on because it's so subtle and it happens over time. Right. So it, it'll like these subtle changes happen over time, like over, you know, a couple, two, three, four years. And then they're like, Hey, I remember like five years ago, I was so happy. Right. Like now I'm like, you know, now I'm not right. And so there's a, there's a whole screening tool for it that, you know, we give everybody who comes into our clinic and, you know, we pick up a lot of, you know, depression with that on patients who don't, didn't even know it, but then, you know, a lot of times they can, they can, you know, they, there is a trigger, you know, that's another thing. There's a trigger that happened that set, you know, set this, you know, this entire thing in motion. Um, and they're not aware of the trigger, right. There, something happened in their lives and, that's when it, everything started to unravel and you kind of pick it up. I don't, I, I really get patients who come in and say, you know, Hey, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really depressed. Right. Um, I'm really, especially men, you know, saying that I'm really depressed. I'm really down. Um, a lot of times you pick it up just from, you know, interviewing and seeing them. So, um, Mm -hmm. what, and what, you know, what I will do is, you know, based off of, and this is, again, this is like the front lines. This is like, seeing them right then and there um uh, what i'll do then is you know i'll depending on how you know mild moderate or severe they are i'll either um refer them over right to a therapist right and um if they're willing to see somebody or accept it a lot of times they're not even willing to accept it so um you know what i will do is i will do the i will ask them to do mindfulness techniques at home i'll i'll ask them to you know start um, start, you know, start doing maybe 10 minutes of meditation a day, just so they can become a little bit more self-aware of what's, what's happening. Because like Kieran said, you know, a lot of times patients come in, what, you know, what they come in with, they come in with sleep issues, mm-hmm. right? Not being and able for to you sleep too, um, there's probably a lot of like, I've just been feeling so tired and yeah. I, I don't feel yeah. like doing anything or you probably get a lot of more of the somatic stuff, right? Like, and right. you're like, oh, yeah. you're like changed or. Yeah. 
And you mentioned earlier, especially with the sleep, right? Like the sleep mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah, like if they're true. not sleeping, they're like, I'm like, okay. So first question I ask, I'm like, are you not sleeping because you can't fall asleep or is, or is your like brain racing? And they're, you know, and 99% of the time it's, they're having thoughts like that just mm-hmm. their brain just won't stop running. Yeah. And they so, say the brain will shut off. Like it just keeps exactly. going. Exactly. Yeah. And so then you kind of take it from there and, um, you know, try to give them the tools. I think mindfulness is a great tool to start with. Um, and then and there's you know, a lot of online out. resources for, so what, yeah. uh, having patients figure it out themselves is the best. It's the education. I always yeah. tell my patients, I'm like, okay, like, you know, there's CBT, there's cognitive behavioral therapy. I tell them, I'm like, go on YouTube. I said, type that in. I want you to know what it is that you're supposed yeah. to be getting versus the therapist doing it for them. Like CBT is uh, the best, most efficient evidence-based, right? There's so many free things online on like psychologytools.com, like CBT on YouTube is crazy. Like there's so many free things. People don't even like for people who are taboo or whatever against the therapist or medication, fine, start that stuff on your own. You don't even have to tell anybody you're doing it. Just go on YouTube and just watch videos of what CBT is and it'll help you understand how your thoughts are affecting your feelings and your emotions and how you act, right? Because we all need CBT, not just people who are depressed, not anxious. It helps us develop coping skills. Like my daughter, she's four, she knows deep breathing techniques, like, right? But it's more to implement those. And I, being a psychiatrist, have been able to put those in her. But we growing up, I mean, my parents were great parents or whatnot, but they didn't implement those coping skills, right? We didn't have any, we were just like, oh, be strong. Like, you know, so and now with her knowing those coping skills, I think that's the best. I use them myself. I use deep breathing. I rationalize if something happens or I get a phone call, there's a meeting. I mean, I could get stressed out. I could get anxious. But instead, I sit down and I realize I'm like, okay, what's the worst that this is something going to be really bad versus something that it could be good? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think CBT is brilliant. I've I've personally used CBT and I've also used EFT um, as well, which is a brilliant tool. Mindfulness, definitely. Meditation, definitely. And also journaling is good. But some people won't even sit down and do that. They'd rather just keep everything in their head. But the other thing I was going to ask is, with the way society has changed over time, especially within the South Asian community, you know, Back in the day, women weren't going to work. They were at home. Men would go out to work. But now women are going out to work as well, as well as men. But how would you say the gender roles and the dynamics in families have impacted the mental health of men? Has that played a huge part or no? Uh, I I think so. I mean, like, you know, I can... I can just talk from my own perspective and I don't know if my parents are going to listen to this or not, but you know, we, we got, my, my wife is also a physician. And um, so, you know, when we got married uh, and she's not Punjabi, she's from South India. And so when we got married, you know, it was a lot of, you know um, you know, Oh, she's coming into our family. Right. Like, you know, like I have, I have two, I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And it was like the expectations were there. Right. So there's, you know, expectations of she's coming to our family. So she's, you know, like, you know, part of this family. And, but hey, man, she's working like 60 hours a week. You know, she's a hospitalist. Like we're both, you know, working like the, the roles are different. Right. And, and I'll be honest, like, you know, that was also ingrained in my head. Right. You know, as a, you know, just growing up hearing that all the time, that was also ingrained in my head. So it took a long time for, you know, for us to work through that it caused issues it caused problems with us and it took a long time to uh to kind of get through that and work through that and like even marriage counseling we did marriage counseling and I was so against it for such a long time and just because it was a taboo to me and I'm and I'm in the medical field and it was such a taboo and like once I did it I'm like oh you know this is it's like amazing you know and hearing it from other people like it very interesting as a provider yourself like you know I I was married before um to a Punjabi Jutsik uh man and I think and at that time I was my training and I wasn't in a job and it, it honestly speaking um I think it was very hard 
for him to understand that I would be, he was an accountant, um, that I would one day be making more money than them and him. And honestly, he didn't take it so well. Um, there was a lot of like, I'm going to have to be the man or make the more money. Whereas, you know, I come from a background of who cares Our my money is your money, who cares? Right. But yeah, same thing. Like we did therapy or whatnot, but then, um, you know, in, in certain phases, like nowadays, women are more powerful, like we do do a lot, like, you know, women are having kids at uh, later ages, because we want to be successful. And, and I mean, no offense or anything. But like, you know, my dad being a Punjabi jet sick man, he, there's me and my sister, and we're both girls, and we're doctors. And he said to us, he said, look, when we came from India, when you guys are doctors, he's like, the reason I push you guys to do this is he's like, because if I'm not here, I don't want you ever to have to depend on a man. Right. And that really spoke volumes to me that I don't like, I'm independent. Like you're not happy deuce. Like, you know, it just gives you that power as a female. And I feel like for men to understand that power that females do have now, it, it's hard. Like, you know, from, from, from the aspect that especially a South Asian men come from as well. So um, like my brother, he has a wife, but she's more of like a, you know, unhousewife kind of takes care of the kids and does that. But like, that's the typical, but nowadays there's not many women like that. And I, and I don't know if that is also one of the issues that maybe men in the South Asian community have, and maybe that brings them down. That's why therapy is so crucial to know why, why is the drinking happening? Why is this turmoil happening in your life? What is it that's not making you happy? What is it that could be changed that's going to help you feel a little bit better or happier, right? Or helping to explain, hey, listen, more than, you know, two incomes means you won't have to work as much. You guys can retire early. Helping men understand who are already in that phase of depression, what are the positive things of this versus focusing on the negative things? Yeah. I think it's pretty important that people actually understand but I think the expectations of men and women have changed so much and it's like no disrespect to you Ashish (laughs) it's like men are like women need to make me happy women are like the man has to make me happy so it's almost like that expectation on both parts is not in sync it's just I don't want to say it's disassociated yeah. it's almost like then that communication needs to be on the same level but obviously mm-hmm. we've all been brought up in different ways yes we're Punjabi but we've been brought up in different ways or we've got you know South Asian background it doesn't matter what background you are we all have our own family traditions someone else will have a different tradition but it's like how would you say that that kind of thing is impacting men on a day-to-day basis? Because it is a very big thing. It's not a small thing. It's like we've had instances where here in the UK, like family friends, where they've got their son married, but two months later or three months down the line, they're going through a divorce. And, you know, it's the girl's fault. But it, it... it takes two to tango and obviously divorce is a lot more common now like it was than 10 15 years ago because that can play a huge part um in the mental health for men as well just as it can for women but I feel depending on the individual it can have more of an impact on a man or am I wrong no I I think you're spot on I think that I you know it's odd to say but I think that those those instances that you're talking about, you know, like we're, we're seeing it a lot here as well, you know, the, you know, divorces and, um, you know, these family issues taking place. But I think in a weird way, I think that's progressive, right? Because I think women are actually standing up for themselves, right? And they're not stuck in these, or, you know, they're starting to become unstuck, right? In these relationships that they're unhappy with in, right? So I, I, we're seeing it here. And I think that, you know, and you said the word, you know, multiple times. And I think the, the issue is expectations, yeah. right? Once you put expectations, and it's true for men and women, but, you know, from a 
you know, patriarchal society, right? That's going to fall heavily on a, on a woman, right? Um, when the expectation that a man's family places on a woman, right, is, yeah, I can't even imagine, right? So those expectations somehow, you know, have to be, have to be, you know, broken. And I think that expectations for me, from what I've, you know, seen has led to majority of the problems, right? Because they, they don't allow you to live, right? Every, if, if things are expected from you, like, oh, she's got to come here. She's got to make job, right? She's got to, she's got to help me with this. She's got to do that. You know, the people are just trying to live their lives and it's hard enough for a man and a woman to get together and be, get in sync with each other and then have all this other noise around them. Mm-hmm. Right. And also have, you know, somebody like, you know, like my wife who's working like 60 hours, like I said, you know, a week, have her, you know, try to manage all of that. And now we got two kids to manage that as well. Right. It's mm-hmm. on, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a realistic, you know, thing to ask of anybody. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think and expectations I think need to be tempered. Yeah, and when they, that's a reason they, I guess they say expectations lead to disappointments, right? right. But I yeah. also think on the lines of Jag that what you were saying is um, there's a reason that more 50% more women are depressed, but men are four times more likely to commit suicide. Why? Because men say, if she's going to leave me, I'd rather kill myself. If I'm not going to have my kids, I'd rather kill. It's more of a hit to... A, a man's ego based on like, you know, your question, it's, it's an all or none thing. I got married to stay married to be with this person or whatnot, right? That's why the impulsivity, the access, like, you know, with the men to complete that suicide is more so there because there's no other avenue for them to go. It's kind of a more of a, you know, if I don't have this in my life, because this is how I pictured my life, I was supposed to get married and I was supposed to have kids and I'm supposed to stay married to that person. And I'm supposed to be like my mom and dad who have been married 50 odd years. Do you get what I'm saying? Because guess what? That's like just drill, right? And now with women, with how things are changing, like how much have we changed as women, right? We're not getting married as earlier. We're having kids a little later. We're taking the same roles uh, as men, right? Like whatnot, right? We all are doing different things, like going sideways, going this way, making changes, um, changing a little bit of history and how it was. And I mean, and you know, she's like, even for you guys, but like even for Indian men, though, there's not much change, right? You're supposed to work. You're supposed to be a doctor. You're supposed to take care of your parents. You're supposed to have a wife and you're supposed to have kids. All those things didn't, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, haven't changed, right? Versus we, as women are changing. So now for South Asian men to understand this change and even Indian women is a little hard, I would say. But when it comes to like men having those thoughts of suicide, because obviously it can be anything that can trigger them. So it could be childhood trauma. It could be them not being happy you know, I mean, having male friends who've had those thoughts, um, they kind of go into this whole manic state of mind. But how can they stop themselves getting to that point? Because obviously, there are a lot of online resources now, mm-hmm. you know, but men as a whole, they find it very, very hard to speak to somebody about their emotions be very yeah. vulnerable because of that fear of being judged of what yeah. are people going to say but what could be the signs that they realize themselves before they go and do anything because it's very very important and it and it's becoming more and more common unfortunately you know and before this used to be unheard of you know but now it's like every couple of months you'll probably hear of somebody doing something mm-hmm. and it's just so horrifying and I think it's just important then in your group in your social circle to discuss it so it's not taboo so somebody who did go through it like being able to discuss it just for example here uh Ashish just uh, said about the going to the marriage therapy even though he didn't want to what his success was out of it that's the thing that people need to hear like 
he's saying he himself didn't want to do it because of the taboo. But then when he did it, what happened, right? There was positive stuff that came out of it. I think when people hear that, especially men, oh, okay, so it's not just me. Okay, well, this person did it too, or this person did it too. I feel like it's easier for them to open up and to want to seek help. Um, and uh, as well as like, you know, your significant other or your friends are going to be like, hey, let's go together. It's not just you. It's all, it's me too. I need help. Like, you know, versus making a person feel singled out because we all do need help. Definitely. We all do need help. I mean, mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is, especially within the Asian community, is how do we, especially with men, obviously with women, it's easier to spot as women, we were a bit more in tune with women, you could say. But with men, how would you say we can spot the signs for mental health? You know, that oh. something is potentially going on with them. What would be what could be the signs you know because obviously and, there's going to be different signs for different people yeah. anyway yeah well kind of what we mentioned before you know one if there's any type of like uh increased alcohol use another is if you're if you're noticing that uh they're isolating themselves uh kind of staying in bed a lot not wanting to interact with family or friends or children not going places and doing things that they used to like to do let's say somebody liked to golf a lot or likes to listen to music and you notice hey they're never going any they're not doing that um you know getting in trouble at work being late to work getting write-ups at work getting uh like dings at work right so that's it not uh feeling like even when that person is sitting there that they're not really there right like well just kind of sitting there just sitting and not interacting with children or a wife um not basically losing interest in the stuff that they used to enjoy doing right um lack of sleep or sleeping too much loss of appetite um so many different things can give that uh hint that, hey, something might be going on. I'm not enjoying myself the way I used to do. And I just, I can't even remember the last time I had a good day. So certain things like that are all very like red flags, right? Mm -hmm. um, seeing like if somebody's just kind of sitting in the car and not coming out of the car when, you know, there's so many different things you can pick up on that you would know that, hey, this is not the real me, or this is not the fun me, or this is not the happy me and other people to pick up on it as well, right? And it's good about talking about it and making that person feel secure, say, it's okay, talk to me about it. Why have you not been golfing recently like you used to? Um, so certain changes like that is our very big uh, red flags. Like some people go to the extreme and how could you spot those extreme symptoms or is it very hard to? And I don't think you can because there's so many people who are so good at like hiding it, right? How many times have we seen like the stuff where people say like, oh, we would have never thought like we just saw him the other day and he was happy. He was laughing. He was smiling, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's not like if there was a blood test we could do on someone that showed they had low serotonin, then it would be right there in front of you. And we, hopefully in like, you know, 30, 40 years there will be, but that way, right away, you know, you go see someone, our doctor can call you and say, hey, like, you know, as we do for like, you know, anemia, oh, your uh, counts were low. So you have this, like, at least that's a better way of predicting the gold standard, but we don't have a gold standard yet for mm. diagnosis of depression. Would, would you say, obviously, being a psychiatrist, people say depression is inherited. Is mm -hmm. it inherited? Yeah, it is. Uh, there's uh, that's documented. It's so bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, major depressive disorder. It is all genetic uh, based disposition. Absolutely. And what would you say the root causes of them are? Does it stem back to trauma or what could it be? No, I don't think it's just like, I mean, trauma can be an added component to it, but I think it's just basically the biological and the chemical makeup of the mind, which is passed down from generation to generation, which is not changeable, right? Mm -hmm. So even in alcohol uh, dependence, that's also genetic predisposition, right? So the person whose dad or grandpa or great uncle drank, even if you pick up a couple drinks, you are just more likely based on the biological and the chemical makeup of your brain are more likely to become an addict versus someone else. 
Yeah. I mean, when it comes to family and friends wanting to give that support to, like, their brother, the husband, the father, the male friend or the male cousin or brother-in-law, whatever the relationship is, what are the best ways to support them? To make them feel comfortable in talking and discussing uh, with somebody who might have gone through the same thing. I think that's the biggest platform, honestly. Having them try to acknowledge it themselves by having others talk about it. You know, I feel like in the South Asian community, it's such a persona to say, oh, my life is perfect. I have a perfect wife. I have a perfect kids. I have a great job and good, good, good. And, you know, I always tell like even like my parents, I'm like using like the Gurdwara as a better platform um, to say, hey, you guys don't have to come to a Gurdwara just to say, oh, we have this, we have that and we're happy. We're go lucky. We're going to donate this. We're going to donate that. Using the Gurdwara as a better platform for mental health awareness to say, hey, we are here if anybody needs help and you are not going to be judged. Yeah. I mean, I find sometimes within our community, especially when you're going to the Gurdwara, that they don't, there's not necessarily that compassion that needs to be there. And people don't necessarily open up again because of the fear of what people are going to say. Yeah, and that's because, my point for everybody there to change that mm. for people to feel comfortable. Because your, you know, your question was, how can we make so and so or whatnot feel more comfortable by making it that it's not taboo, that it is like you know, for uh, Babaji to say like, hey, this is nothing. That's your fault. There's a genetic predisposition to it. Sometimes your ancestors might have had this type of depression. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get help for it. Like. You know, they say everything else, you know, in that terminology. Why aren't they incorporating mental health into it? Yeah. And there needs to be more of it, definitely. I mean, how can we start bringing about that change right across, like, those platforms? I mean, I know that there are organisations here in the UK and there are some in the US, but how can we collaboratively get together and be on the same page? To say I, that think, I think our generation should educate our parents and our aunts and our uncles so then they can go talk to each other because that's what they do to tell each other everything. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I mean, how many times has my mom been on the phone with my Masi for three hours at a time? Like discuss something that's actually, actually going to like teach you guys something. So like now, and the only reason I say that is because my parents know where me and my brother are in psychiatry, they are understanding it better. So now like when my uh, dad's uh, cousin's wife was sad or whatever, or depressed, you know, my mom was able to talk to her and say, hey, don't worry, like here, talk to Gurkirin, like she can try to help you or this is what we suggest. Like, you know, instead of saying, be strong, be strong, they say, no, this is a problem. It's not your fault. It might've been genetically passed down to you. It's okay to take medication to feel better. So you're good for your kids. And I did see that them doing that with my particular aunt. And it was the most ex amazing experience to be able to see my parents and my aunts and uncles who probably never believed in depression to understand that this is something real. No, it is a big thing. I mean, I remember in the last couple of years, there, there have been quite a number of suicides with men in our community where I live. And I remember going to the Guzavala and speaking to the president there saying, can we provide some kind of help, you know, mm. for some for men and the women to come somewhere where they feel safe and the response I got back from him was oh your auntie and I are always arguing somebody come and become a referee to kind of sort out our disagreement and I was just like yeah, I put I my it. hands up and then I was speaking to another uncle and I said look can you guys start doing something because it needs to be done but it's a very very big subject that it's like where do we start mm. where would we start yeah I, I think a big part of it also is having people who have gone through it talk about it you know mm -hmm. and I think that they're willing to talk about it and I want I think normalizing it right normalize talking about it normalize saying that it's out there that it's okay to feel this way and to seek help and I think the more you know, we talk about it, 
more other people see that other people have gone through it and have gone gotten the help it actually you know decreases the taboo and it decreases the you know the uh that that uh, stereotype and so i i think just talking about it, raising awareness having people actually talk about it. i think what's his name uh uh you know even even punjabi artists are getting into it now right like gursidu i think his, he's really yeah. big into it and or a lot of the bollywood actresses too they've talked about it yeah and they're talking about it and they're you know they're they're out there discussing it and talking about it and that's that's one way and especially if you know somebody who's been through it right and then you can you can you know say hey these were his triggers maybe i'm having it too right maybe this is what something maybe i'm going through this too you know let me just keep an eye on it right um and that's what like i mentioned to jag before like even with you like you were taboo again and now you're like oh my god it was helpful like right explaining yeah. that to friends and people so they're like oh i'm not the only one like oh maybe right. this is something that would be helpful versus not helpful in anything like right because that's the thing everybody wants to put this perfect persona on and it's oh okay to be imperfect and i'm that type of person too like i hate hanging out with the girls who was like oh everything's perfect and dandy i'm like yo you're not gonna want to hang yeah. out with me then because uh -huh. i'm more of a person that like yeah there's shit that happens every day there's going to be ups and downs in marriages yeah we bicker we fight but we make up i want to learn from people how are you guys coping with that and how do you keep your marriage strong or your yourself emotionally strong yeah I dude think... it's the same thing like with us we we i I tell my friends and they're like, you know, I haven't heard one of my friends talk about marriage counseling, not yeah. one. Right. And I, you know, we, I know, we know a lot of people, not mm -hmm. one of them. And I know they're going through shit. Right. So I'm like, mm -hmm. Hey, listen, I'm like, you're, I'm going through marriage counseling. I'm like, I'm doing it. They're like, Oh, you are they're like, and then they start talking. Oh yeah. You know, maybe, you know, like maybe it's, maybe we should. And I'm like, your life is not perfect. Nobody's life is Nobody's perfect. And I know, Nobody's I know. Yeah. And I know that you're going to, you know, that it's going to be helpful to you. That's why I'm telling you about it. Mm -hmm. And so people are like now are willing, you know, like, especially, you know, within our circle, like people are like willing to talk about it now mm -hmm. because somebody just comes in there and, you know, kind of opens that gate. Right. And like starts to talk about it. Now people are like, mm -hmm. you know, one of my friends, like really like stoic dude doesn't talk a lot, just like, you know, very kind of an asshole. And he's just like, like maybe I need therapy. I'm like, you do need therapy. I'm like, not yeah. maybe you do, you do. So just go, <laughs> go and get it, you know? So it's, so, so my it's like, question it's, yeah. is this following on from that, obviously Asian men, the ego, right? Oh. You know, they are very nonchalant. Oh yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm absolutely fine. But how, not how, what would your suggestions be for men who are refusing to acknowledge that there is, is an issue and what are the steps that they should take to start being more self-aware mm. apart from being mindful? Yeah. So ego is, uh, I think you can have, <laughs> have a, uh, like a, you know, a six hour you know podcast on ego and, how to break your ego and how to, you know, peel back those layers of the onion and, you know, get to the core of the self, right? There's a huge, I think self-awareness and acceptance is the first thing. It's hard. You're not, it's really hard to get somebody. And I've seen, you know, I have patients like this. It's really hard to get somebody to do something and to become self-aware and understand it unless they are there mentally it's hard to do it's it's really hard to do but i've i mean i i know we're saying you know other not to be mindful i think mindfulness is is the first step just the self-awareness you know here's the thing everybody is running or a lot of people are running on reactions everybody is reactionary and everybody is on autopilot right and if you're not, if you don't take the time to slow down and become self-aware, you don't understand that your actions, your, you know, your, your emotions, all these, and your thoughts even are just, everything is reactionary. So if you don't slow down and see where all that is coming from, 
then it's it's really tough to figure you know to to even start to work on the ego yeah. how about with you money for you like pretend like i mean how were you able to change your and you mentioned this that you weren't for it before so what changed how did you change like you know so like there could be other men like what was it that you're like okay maybe i'll sure. try sure no that's a good question by the way uh my middle name is money so that's what I'm, they oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's how they know yeah so um so yeah no that's a good question so it's really weird for me it was the um it's it started from the ego right okay. and so for me it really started from the ego for me i started doing a lot of meditation a lot of mindfulness a lot of you know even i mean going to gurdwara doing seva right mm -hmm. for me like doing a lot of seva that really helped because it was i was doing something not for myself right and i was mm -hmm. doing something for other people that really helped gratitude like you know bringing that gratitude you know or you know you know having gratitude i didn't really know what that was before i was really just you know on autopilot like i said and uh the mindfulness helped because 10 minutes of just sitting there and seeing my thoughts and understanding that my brain was you know cre you know was really causing me to have all these emotions and have all these you know reactions right seeing that connection and then really understanding that and becoming self-aware and taking myself out of that right was i was able to you know just just see it all that that's where i started on myself right and then after a while with like with our marriage i was you know i, I would fall into these patterns of behavior right and those patterns of behavior would just, you know, it, it was me saying something and then her saying something back to me and then it would just spiral down. And then I kind of don't, I recognize the patterns, right? And then I tried to fix them on my own. I just couldn't, okay. you know, it just, I just couldn't it's do it. It's nice to know like how to present it to like, you know, other, you know, like how. Yeah, yeah. that's why I say self-awareness is the biggest part, right? understanding that you have because this whole time even while I was doing mindfulness and you know meditation and stuff like that I didn't think that there was an issue right I was like okay these are the patterns I can I can not be reactive right this and that but then there were these triggers in the back that would leave lead us to go down these you know dark rabbit holes and um, I couldn't get out of that I didn't know how to solve that issue and so you know it was uh, through that I was uh, like, okay, we need help, you know, otherwise this is not going to end well, we need help. So, um, and she was pushing me to get it for, you know, a really long time. And I was like, no, 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 we can solve it. We can solve it, blah, blah, blah. And, and it just, it was just the same thing over and over. And it got exhausting. It got tired. No, I can imagine. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, this is a very, very long topic and I'm sure we will come yeah. back together at a later time. But before you guys go, can I just ask you to share some nuggets of wisdom to share with people on how to be the best version of themselves with their mental health and just be in the moment? I would say be aware, like be aware of your mood, your behavior and your emotions and be selfish and do you honestly like i feel like we forget about ourselves in this busy life of friends family and children that it's okay to step back and say hey i need a mental health day and i'm just gonna do me remember who you were if you've forgotten and talk communicate 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 because the more you talk I feel like the bricks will feel lighter and lighter on you that you're carrying. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, yeah I think, um, you know, just work on becoming self-aware, right? Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is uh, self-aware does incorporate, I mean, does encompass, you know, self-care, right? Taking care of yourself, um, understanding, you know, who you are at the core, right? You're not just all these thoughts that are in your brain. That's not you, 
right? Those are a lot of times that's been conditioned. Those are all the experiences, all, you know, all the so-called baggage that you're carrying with you, but that's not who you are. So, you know, become more, try to become more self-aware through whatever means. And, you know, if you need help and you, you, you find that, you know, you even think about needing help, just seek it out. That's what I would say. Completely agree. Thank you so much, yeah. guys. And hopefully we can get you back soon. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for no, having thank us. You. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye.